If you have your Bibles with you, would you open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4? Or if you're using your smart device, you can go to the Version, the Bible app, and uh, not only will you find 2 Timothy there, but you'll actually, if you go to the events tab, you'll find us there in the notes for this morning. Uh, however you choose, but I'd love for you to follow along with what we're talking about, because this morning we're talking about finishing strong. And so I just want to ask, when you think of these two words, when you hear someone say, finish strong. What does that mean to you? So uh, uh, I shoot to run three times a week, somewhere between two and three miles, regardless of the distance at the end of the run to, to finish strong for me. There's a, there's a hill at the end of my run. Every, no matter how many miles, no matter how far I go, no matter what direction I go, uh, there's a hill, always a hill at the end of it. And so for me to say finish strong means that at the end of the run, I attack the hill, all right? Now, admittedly, uh, for me, after those runs, attack the hill may sound more aggressive than it actually looks. <laughs> if you ask my neighbors, they may think I'm out for a stroll when they watch me go by. I don't know what they're thinking when they see that, but that's me fighting to finish strong on, uh, you know, at the end of that. Uh, finish strong to me means that my dad lives in a retirement facility not far from here. He's 90 years old. My mom passed away last year. They were married for 66 years. And he misses her. And so to finish strong means that I will take care of my dad well until he gets to be with her in heaven. So from running to caring for my parents and and everything in between. So I determined there are days when I make this conscious determination, I'm going to finish my day strong. I'm not just going to, you know, sit in the office and, you know, you know, play, you know, look at whatever online or what I'm, I'm going to finish strong. I'm, I've determined I'm going to finish my week strong. The, the question is, what does that mean to you to say you want to finish strong? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It is October. And if you wait too late, you're going to find yourself wishing you had finished strong. Or if you're not careful, you're going to get to where you wish you had had time. You'd left yourself time to finish strong. So what does that mean to you if you're married? What does it mean to you that you want to finish this year strong with your marriage? And I don't mean your marriage ends at the end of this year. I'm not talking about that. But I'm asking you, what does it mean when you look through the end of this year? How do I finish this strong? I mean, because your marriage can do this for the next three months, or it can do that for the next three months, or it can do this for the next three months. What, how do you do that? Is it, is it about being intentional with your days off and what you do with your days off? Is it about making sure that you plan date nights? Uh, is it about setting aside time for talking and listening? Is it about remembering to hold hands? Is it about a kiss good night? Make it just, I'm going to, we're going to kiss good night every night. And we're going to, we're going to kiss good morning every morning. And we're going to kiss a lot in between and, and maybe some other stuff. Uh, I know I just lost half the room. All the guys are now, yeah. <laughs> And all the women are going, great. Uh, so listen, here's, so listen, if you're a parent, what does it mean to finish strong? If you're a student, what does it mean to finish strong in your work, at your workplace? What's it mean as a Jesus follower? What does that mean to finish strong? This year, strong as a Jesus follower. How, do you, how, does, how does that look? What does it take to actually finish strong? What about us as a church? What do these two words mean to us as a church? 
to say that we want to finish this year strong, to not, not do this, not do that, but we want to do this as we finish the year. Now, if you were here at the beginning of the year, I, uh, I shared our goals for 2017, and to be brutally honest with you, they, they were, in a word, aggressive. We were determined, we had determined that God was calling us here to do some things that we have never done in the 63 years that we've been in existence. We believed that he was calling us beyond anything we'd ever done before. So uh, to remind you some of the things that we said at the beginning of the year, we want to help 70 people begin their relationship with Jesus. We've never done that in a, in a, in a year before. We want to help 300 people uh, commit and be part of building their relationship with Jesus. We want to have over 500 children, different children participating in our children's ministry. We want to have 200, over 200 different middle school and high school students participating in our student ministry. We wanted to impact, we wanted to ha- uh, impact over 700 lives in worship every week. And when we began the year, we had this plan. We wanted to begin a plan that would help MCC. And we figured out it would take six years if we actually did this plan. It would take us six years, but it would allow us to do more ministry, to create margin in our budget, to pay off debt, and to change the future. Part of that is to allow ministries to grow. Part of this pays off our mortgage in six years. By the way, two and a half million dollars in six years, that's aggressive. It would allow us to set money aside for future growth and ministry opportunities. But to accomplish that, so to accomplish that, especially if you weren't here at the beginning of the year, we increased our budget $2,429 a week, (laughs) which is, it's absurd. It's crazy to do something like that. And so in case you didn't know, that's actually quite a bit. Um, so to, uh, so I, I hope that those goals, what we've talked about, I hope that takes the wind out of you, at least for a moment, because we're talking about changing the future. We're, we're talking about the next generation being given something that, that we have worked hard to achieve in the name of Jesus. When I shared these goals and we looked at each other and we wondered if God could actually, could, is it even possible that God could do something that he's never done here before? So I showed you this clip of JFK addressing uh, the nation about the space program. It was back in the 60s. And I wanted you to see it again, just to remind you as we stop and pause. So check this out. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. We shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field, made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented, capable of standing heat and stresses several times more than have ever been experienced, 
fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch, carrying all the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, food, and survival on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body, and then return it safely to Earth, re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half that on the temperature of the sun, almost as hot as it is here today, and do all this, and do all this, and do it right, and do it first, before this dictator's out, then we must be bold. Now, we stand on this side of that video, knowing where the space program has gone and what we've accomplished. And we look at that and we go, of course, of course. But on that day, did you hear what he said? We're going to make this ship out of we, the metals that we don't even, they're not even invented. We haven't, dis- we haven't made them yet. Uh, we, we don't know how this is going to happen. Listen, when we say lofty goals out loud, we set in motion what we most likely would never achieve if we didn't say it out loud. And so what we're saying out loud is that we believe God is calling us to something in this community that's bigger than we've ever done before. On your notes at the top, Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it's done. So I just want to say out loud on October 8th, that by the end of this year, as we approach the end of this year, we believe that we are being called to finish strong. We think that's what we're being called to. And, and just not to coast, not to glide. Can we do this? Of course we can. We have proven that if we believe that God is calling us to something, and then we dedicate ourselves to making it happen, that we can do that. And so listen, because you have believed in what God is doing through us here so far this year, we've helped 57 people begin their relationship with Jesus. And that's, I mean, we're on mark to, to accomplish what we set out to do. We have uh, 321 people connected through small group groups, building their relationship with God. We've had over 448 different children and 210 different students involved in our next-gen ministries. And although our giving isn't where we had hoped it would be, it is above where it was last year at this time. We are knocking it out of the park with most of the goals that we've set. I'm telling you this because I don't want us to coast. If we're gonna, we need to finish strong. And so to remind us of this, to remind us of this truth, and to help us to encourage us, we're going to look at the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, they were to Timothy. So he's written a letter to Timothy, his son in the faith. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he begins this way. He said, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award not only to me. He'll give it to me, but, not, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So, Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. I don't know how you picture this, the scene of him writing this. The Apostle Paul, greatest missionary, church planter, perhaps ever, author of, of half the New Testament. If, if, so if you're reading something in the New Testament, there's a 50% chance that what you're reading was written by this person. And he's coming to the end of his earthly life. And so as he writes the last of his New Testament letters, what we have collected in the New Testament... The last one we have is to Timothy, his protege, his son in the faith. And he's writing this final message from a prison cell in Rome. And Paul's been in prison before. Listen, he's been locked up in cells. He's been under house arrest. 
But he knows that this is his final incarceration, his last step before he loses his life here on earth. And he has left Timothy in charge of a church in Ephesus, which is far away. And so he asks Timothy to come with him, to be with him in his last days in Rome. As a matter of fact, in verse 21, if you have your Bible open or if you're, if you're looking at, on your smart device, Paul says this, do your best to come before winter. Don't come quickly, come before winter. And so I, I want us to focus on this for just a moment. Why would it be important for Timothy to come before winter? Well, in, in part, because in Paul's day, when winter set in, the uh, season of navigation is over. The Mediterranean Sea uh, becomes turbulent. The roads become icy. Some of the mountain passes become uh, blocked with snow. And if Timothy waits until winter to come, he's not going to make it. He won't be able to come until spring. Paul knew that if Timothy procrastinated, he wasn't going to get there until it was too late. And we don't know how Paul knows this. Is it the Holy Spirit that has said something to him? Or, or is it his own intuition? He's been in this situation enough times that he knows there's not going to be a next time. But he knew he was not long for this world. And so he says to Timothy that the time of my departure is, is getting near. So, so why, why is it important for Timothy to come, to come before winter? In part, it's because in Paul's day, when winter sets in, listen, it's not going to happen again. And I don't know if you can imagine Timothy receiving this letter and sensing the urgency. And so he sets out immediately and, and, and he, he crosses the sea and he, he, he makes the journey and, and he runs to the prison and he shows his papers to the guards and he catches his breath as he steps past them and rushes into the cell that holds his friend, his mentor, spiritual father, And he stands before him, an elderly stooped apostle whose body bears the marks of his faith because he's been beaten in the name of Jesus. And I can't imagine what a reunion that was for both of them. I imagine Paul stepping back from Timothy and just kind of staring into his face. Timothy has laugh lines now around his eyes because he's gotten a little bit older a few gray hairs at his temple or no hairs at his temple Uh, because Timothy has matured in these years they've been apart and Paul is proud of him and I can only imagine it made his last days brighter I mean each morning Timothy comes to dress his wounds and to feed him and to read to him and one day when they're together they hear the sounds that they know is inevitable the footsteps of the soldiers coming down the corridor to the cell. And they stop outside the door of this strange rabbi who speaks of little else other than this Jewish Messiah. And the soldiers lead Paul through the streets of Rome to the pyramid of Cessius where he receives what he knows, his last breath here, but he gets, he'll be taking his first breaths there. And I wonder, I wonder if in his final breaths here, as he prays, because I'm assuming Paul's last breaths were prayer, if part of his prayer wasn't, God, thank you so much for Timothy. He means so much to me. I hope that's how it happened. You know, I, I hope Timothy didn't wait even a day after he received that letter from Paul when he was in Ephesus. I, I hope he left it once to be with Paul, making Paul's final days as comfortable as could be possible, because if, if he doesn't come before winter, 
If he waited, he wasn't going to get to come at all. And the truth is, we don't know if the story unfolded that way or not. The Bible doesn't even tell us whether Timothy came before winter or arrived in the spring. All we know is that Paul asked Timothy to come. The Bible doesn't share Timothy's response. Listen, you need to get here before winter because if you don't, you're not going to get here at all. And here's the significance to us because I think Paul's words do have significance to us. It's, we're looking at the end of his life. But what he told Timothy, he's saying to us this morning, there's some things that if you don't get them done before winter comes, you're not going to have the opportunity to get them done. As a matter of fact, Clarence McCartney uh, put it this way. He said, winter will come, winter will pass. The flowers of springtime will deck the earth and the graves of some of our opportunities. Perhaps the grave, graves of some of our dearest friends. There are golden gates wide open on this autumn day, but next October, they will be forever shut. There are tides of opportunity running now at the flood. I mean, they are just all over the place. You, th- you think they're never going to end, but next October, they'll be at the ebb. There are voices speaking today, which a year from now will be silent. And so listen, here's what, before winter, listen, Timothy, come before winter or don't come at all. And so here's the question that I'd like you to think about this morning. Um, As we think through this, what open door lies before you this October that soon may be closed forever? I mean, you have the opportunity now because my guess is that there is something or there's someone. Paul's closing words to Timothy are also his parting words to us. Come before winter. Something or someone is calling you to come before winter. What is it? What is that thing that's calling to you? Who is that person that is calling to you and saying to you, come now? Because here's the thing. If you want to finish this year strong, right, you have to choose. This becomes a choice. You don't just, listen, you you have to determine you're going to finish strong. It doesn't just happen. You don't float into finishing strong. You lean into finishing strong. A run that ends on a hill. A day. A year. Your life. Someone else's life. You have to choose. You make a determination that you're going to finish this thing strong. And here's what it's going to take. There's two things it's going to take. I want to make sure you know it. First one is you have to be intentional. And all that means is that you know what God is calling you to do. You know what he wants you to do, and you're going to do it. Intentional means I'm paying attention to what I need to get done. So what, does, what do you need to be intentional about in your life through the end of this year when it comes to your faith? What do you need to be intentional about when it comes to your relationships, whether it's a spouse or children or friends or family, whatever that relationship is, or or your job? What do you need to be intentional about at school, with your finances, with your physical health? What do you need to be intentional about? Because that's only half the equation. You need to know what it is you need to accomplish, and then you have to be strategic, which means not only do I know what I need to be accomplished, what I believe God is calling me to, but I know how I'm going to do it. How do you finish this year strong in your marriage? How do you do that with your family or at work or at school or in your faith? Let me ask you this. How do we do that as a church? What does that mean to us? Not just as individuals, but as one body. What does it mean to finish strong? So uh, there are three things that I'm going to call all of us to. All of us need to do these three things for us to finish strong. And here's the first one. If we're going to finish strong as a church, I have to choose to take my next step in my faith journey. 
I have to choose to finish strong. I I will choose. You get a voice in whether we as a church finish strong. Every week, you hear me say, if you've been here more than one time, this is not your first Sunday, you've heard me talk about your next step in your faith, right? What is your next step? Because regardless of where you are, maybe you're just here checking Jesus out. This is your first Sunday. You've never heard me say anything like that before. And you're, you don't even know if Jesus is real. You're not sure you believe in him. You're just kind of kicking the tires. You're opening the doors to see if the new car smell is still in there. You're just kind of checking it out. Or maybe you've been following him for decades. Or you're somewhere in between there. All of us have a next step. We can help you figure that out. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to help us. There's a survey that I'm going to ask everyone to take uh, here at the end of the month. It's called the Reveal Survey. And the point of it is to uh, reveal where we are as a church spiritually. And before anybody gets nervous and goes, great, I am not taking some Bible quiz. This is not a Bible quiz, all right? You don't have to say names or places or quote verses or anything like that. That's not what this is. They will ask you questions. You will be asked questions about what you believe and how strongly you believe these things and how has it impacted your life. It will ask you questions about your faith walk with Jesus. And listen, this is not not some two minute and we're done. This is way more important than that. It's 107 questions. It'll take you 15 to 20 minutes to do this thing. Totally anonymous. So we're not going to be looking over your shoulder. That's not what this is about. You can take it here if it would be helpful for you to do that. It's electronic. You can do it at home or you can do it here. If Listen, it will help us understand where we are as a church and what we need to do to help people take their next step. So I'm asking all of our adults, 18 and older, if you're 18 years of age or older, if you will complete this survey, it starts October 29th, which is a Sunday. It finishes on November 12th, which is a Sunday. At midnight on Sunday, October 12th, it shuts down, or November 12th, it shuts down. And that's for all of us. That's for all. Please help us with that. I'm just asking for your help so that we can do a good job in our leadership. But may I suggest, since that's for all of us, for you as an individual, your next step in your faith walk with Jesus, if you're not reading your Bible, it's time to pick it up and start reading it. If you're not serving, it's time to get in the game. If you're not giving, listen, if you... Before, if you believe God is working here and you believe that being here, God has blessed your family. He has blessed you, blessed your children. If you have children, your relationships, just because you've been here, something he's doing through this group has encouraged you, helped you move forward in your life. Be part of making that happen. I said at the first of the year for us to do all that we believe that God is calling us to do, it's going to require all of us participating. And so there will be some people who have never given anything to what God is doing. They've never given financially to what God is doing. And all I'm saying is step into the game. Do something. Maybe it's a dollar. Maybe it's $5. Maybe it's $10. Those numbers represent something huge to you because you've never done anything like that before. Take that step. For those of us who have been giving regularly, perhaps you should consider tithing and what the Bible has to say about that, because that's your next step. I'm talking to you. I'm not asking you to jump steps. I'm asking you to take your next step. For those of us who have been tithing, if you are able to take another step in your giving. So I I want to let Sandy and I've talked about this. 
So between now and the end of this year, we're going to tithe our tithe. We'll just, you know, give up beyond that. Uh, we, and it's not, that's not a magic number. There's nothing magic about that. We just talked about it, said that's what we're going to shoot at. And that's what we'll do beyond all the other stuff that we do. Listen, we can finish strong financially, but I'm telling you, it's going to take all of us to do that. So first of all, you're an, I will take my next step. If we're going to finish strong, you have to take your next step. But if I, we're going to finish strong, I have to help someone else take their next step. It's not just about me taking mine. I actually have to be involved in helping someone else take theirs. And for some of your friends who never think about Jesus, the word church never comes up in conversation, right? It's their first step. And it may be a baby step. It may be so minuscule you don't even know they took a step. But help them move forward just a little bit. Listen, it's so easy at the end of the year around here because of the things that we do. Invite them to one of our Love and Action events. You heard Weena talk about that on the, the uh, uh, video just a few moments ago. But October 22 to 28th, we, just, we want to storm the gates of the city and serve people in love. So we will be sending 30,000 meals to Haiti for children. So if you're talking to your friend and they're saying, gosh, I just can't believe all the devastation around the world and I wish there was something I could do to help, invite them to come be part of feeding children in Haiti. Help tell them you can come fill, you can fill bags with food. We're going to send them over there. Or if, listen, if that's not their thing, but they have children, invite them to come to Trunk or Treat that Wednesday night. Last year, we had over 700 people here, parents and children. And so we're just, we're moving outside so that we can accommodate even more. So if they don't want to fill a bag with food for Haiti, maybe they'll come fill a bag with candy for their kids. You know what I'm talking about? Invite them to come do that because that's going to be great fun. And we're going to be helping children this year with Christmas. Some of them will be around the world. We'll do that through Operation Christmas Child. Others will be here locally. We're going to do that through Angel Tree. And so while you're getting, you know, please, you don't have to do either. Please don't hear that you have to do both. I'm just saying we're going to help kids here with Christmas. And if you're going to be a part of that, may I suggest when your friends ask about that, say, hey, would you like to help me fill this shoebox up? It doesn't cost that much. And it's kind of fun. Or if you do Angel Tree, if they help you buy a gift for someone or for a family, ask them, ask them to go deliver that with you. Lock eyes with the people that you're, you're helping. Can I encourage you to invite them to one of our Christmas Eve services? We'll have five of those, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, we'll have five of those this year. And we've opened it up. We, we try to open the doors as wide as we can. We try to make that night. People are looking for a place to go. Invite them. Give them a place to go. Come with them for that. Listen, some of your friends are further along and just need someone to help them. So the question is, are you praying for them? Have they noticed how Jesus has made a difference in your life? Have you told them about that? Here's what I was like before. Here's what I'm like now. When you came in, there was a napkin on your chair. And uh, uh, maybe, if, maybe if you were eating a donut or something, you used it to wipe your mouth. Just grab another napkin because I wanted you to do something with that. If you're here for the first time, you're going, great. They even give us napkins. That's awesome. Uh, so uh, this morning, that napkin is I'd like you to draw what I'm about to show you. Some of us have seen it. If this is your first time here, you maybe have never seen this. But some of us have come this morning and you will, I want you to draw this because you're going to have the chance to do this maybe with a friend of yours before the end of this year. 
And others of us are here this morning. You've been coming and you've been singing and you've been listening. And maybe you've even been serving and giving, but you have never made this commitment to Jesus of your life through your baptism. So I wanted you to draw this and then be able to look at this thing and know where you are in the picture. Okay, so here it is. If you would put the words us and God, just write them just like that on your napkin. Uh, Oh, by the way, I gave you a napkin because this is typically where I draw it. I'm in a restaurant. I'm talking to somebody and uh, there, you know, we get to this and they want to know about this. And so I pull my stationery out of the napkin holder uh, and draw this out for them. So I want you to be able to draw it on the napkin as well. Listen, this is just saying we were made for relationship with God. That's, that's all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. Very first chapter, the very first book, you're made for a relationship with God, but somewhere along the line, we blew it and it caused this separation, right? Because we sinned. And in the beginning, in the garden, we know it was Adam and Eve and they sinned. And now the problem is in our midst, but here's what you and I know. My problem with God isn't that Adam and Eve sinned. (laughs) My problem with God is that I sin. And your problem with God isn't that Adam and Eve sinned. You sin. That's the problem. And it creates this separation, causes us to back away. And so we try all these things to get back to God. And so we try to be good enough or, or at least not bad, so bad that maybe we can cross this. And at some point, and I'm wondering if you can even ima- remember when you experienced this and you just got so frustrated because you know you can't be good enough. It's just not even possible. Everything keeps coming up short. And so now you don't know what to do, but you know you got to do something because if this distance lasts forever, when you leave this lifetime and enter into eternity, this separation from God is called hell. And it's the absence of God's grace and love and mercy. And we know we don't want that, but we don't know what to do. So God did something for us. The good news of our faith is that Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago and gave his life on a cross for us. And it creates this distance we could never make on our own. It creates a bridge that we can now walk across to get to God. But there's three steps to get across it. (laughs) There's something we need to know. There's an action on our, our side. The first one is this. You have to believe that this is true. You have to believe that Jesus exists, that, that you really are a sinner struggling that needs help, and Jesus came to bring it. John three sixteen says, God loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. And here's the thing. When I say believe, I'm not talking about just mental assent because every time we believe something, we respond, right? If I believe something is true, it makes me act a certain way. And so the second thing that we need to do is we need to repent, which is just a Bible word that means I need to fess up. I need, to, I need to admit to God, I've blown it. It's my fault. It's not, God, it's not something you did. It's not something my parents did. It's not something my children have done. No one has done this to me but me. And so, God, I'm telling you, I'm owning this. Because when we go to God and we say, God, I'm the one who struggles with sin, and I'm the one who can't pay that price, and I don't know what to do, but I believe that your son died for me. We're told when we tell him that, we repent and we turn to God, our sins are wiped out. And I don't know what you think when you hear that. (laughs) If you've never heard anyone say that before, I mean, they're gone. They are gone. That's how much God wants you to be with him. And the third thing is we need to be baptized. 
Acts 2.38 tells us that if we will repent, if we will confess this before God, let him know with, and, and that we're baptized in the name of Jesus, our sins will be forgiven, we'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life. Now take a look at that napkin. Because the first thing is, where are you on that thing? All of us are on one side of the cross or the other. And it's a decision that you've made. Not a decision someone made for you. You've made the decision which side you want to be on because your life reflects that. So here's this thing. I was reading uh, a book totally unrelated, but it said something that has haunted me. The longer someone who has not committed their life to Jesus attends church, the less likely they are to make that commitment. Think about what that means. See, because I'm one of those guys where I'm going to present you with the truth, and then I'm just going to step back and let you make your decision, because I feel like if I pressure you, it's not really a good decision. That now I'm making you, the screws are being turned, and so you feel like you have to make, and it's not going to stick. But, what, but the reality is, the longer you come and you sit and you sing and maybe you help and you, and you, you get comfortable being in this place, but, but you don't make that commitment yourself, the less likely you will as time goes on. And that scares me to death. That there are people who are in the room and your next step is so close <laughs> and you just haven't made it. Please don't wait any longer because the reality is it's toward the end of your notes. You have 85 days till the end of this year. You want to be intentional? You want to be strategic about finishing strong? 85 days. 85 days is all you've got with your family for the rest of this year. Now, there's next year, but for the rest of this year, I'm not saying it all ends at the end of this year. I'm just saying to finish this year strong at home or at work or at school or in your faith. You want to finish this year strong before we go into the next year? Have 85 days. Don't waste them. Paul said this to the church in Ephesus where Timothy was. Now to him who is able, it's talking about God, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We come to a time of communion and we remember the immeasurably more that Jesus has already done for us on the cross. <laughs> immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine. He did that for us. And so today we remember. So t- as we remember If you already know what your next step is, I know what I need to do. I need to pick up my Bible and start reading it. I need to to get into the game. I need to be involved. If you know what you need to do to finish strong, during this time of communion we're about to be in, make that commitment. You tell God, this thing you've done for me has impacted my life. This is my next step. I want to finish strong. As a church, during this time of communion, let's make this commitment. We've got 85 days to the end of this year. The finish line for this year is 85 days from today. 
We're going to finish strong. So as you hold the emblems that represent Jesus' body that was broken for you, as you hold the cup that reminds you of his blood that was shed for you on the cross, God, the immeasurably more you have already done for me, you've already done it for me. I'm asking now that you do immeasurably more than I can imagine. I can't even dream. I can't fathom of what you will do as I hold these emblems that remind me of what you've already done for me, would you do it through me? Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for who you are and who you call us to be. Who we, what's even possible? The immeasurably more that you have done through the cross with the life of your son to pay a sin debt that we could not pay. We couldn't. We want to. We've tried. We can't. It's not possible. You've done the impossible for us. And God, as we remember that, we also remember you want to do the impossible through us. Things that we can't even... If you told us we were going to be able to do these things at the beginning of the year, we'd probably just shake our heads. And God, you're doing it. God, may we finish this year strong as individuals, as your children, sons and daughters, and as your church. May we be strong for you. We pray this in the name, the powerful name, the sin-breaking, debt-canceling name of Jesus. Amen.